Hello and welcome to Movie of the Year, the only podcast with the science and the screaming to determine the best movie for any given year. This season, we are covering 1973, and we are just absolutely making our way through this kind of underwhelming year of cinema history. But we are here to talk about a biggie today, right around Halloween. It is The Exorcist. Before we get going, I'm your host, Greg. Hi. How you doing? I want to introduce my two guests, my two competitors, because that's right, this show is not just three friends having fun, because that would stink. It is a game show. I have two different competitors, including last week's Victor, Ryan. Ryan, why did you go by Victor last week? Because uh, I, I think it's a name that's sexy as hell. Also, okay. uh, if I want to throw on some makeup, Victoria. Victor slash Victoria, anytime I want. Nice. Very nice. Classic. A classic movie of the year movie. I'm Victor, obviously... Victoria. I'm going to do it right. Like a lot of Cher, Sonny and Cher uh, dress up people where I'm going to do half and half and then profile one part of the song, spin around real quick, and then do a pro- my other profile with the other part of the song. I love it. Can't be beat. Cannot be beat, which is going to be very awkward for your competitor, Mike. Mike... You tried so hard not to be on this show, but ultimately we pinned you down and made you be on it. How do you feel about your compulsory attendance here? Uh, The power of Christ compelled me to be here today, and we will see how I do and how that does. Being so prepared, I thought all week about this movie. I was definitely ready this whole time. (laughs) This movie loomed large in the season. It's It's a big 73 movie. When we were talking about doing the season... I knew that it was eventually going to come to this. We were going to have to do a show with it. I have very little personal history with this movie besides actively avoiding seeing it. Ryan, starting with you, what is your personal history with The Exorcist? I mean, um, there's, I, I don't know if there's any, set, any, any part of any set piece in this movie that we haven't seen a billion times just because of uh, pop culture osmosis and parodies. Mm-hmm. Um, the rest of the movie I have seen a lot of times. Like every time I watch this movie, um, I realize that I have seen this way more than I thought, and yet there's still surprises. This was uh, a movie that I saw pr- far too early. Um, just wanted to get a jump on it as a little kid. Uh, regret <laughs> Let's start those nightmares now, buddy. <laughs> yeah, regretted that a lot. Horrified. Like I was not a kid who was scared by the more goofy movies that came out when I was a kid, like a goofy movie or an extremely mm-hmm. goofy movie. Yes. Uh, or the nightmare on Elm streets, the Friday the 13th, the child's plays like th- those are funnier than scary. This movie uh, made me shit out of my penis and piss out of my asshole. Cause uh, you were just doing what you saw on screen. Yeah. I was just uh, <laughs> mimicking my role models. Uh, the, p- the Pazuzu Reagan. Um, it still does that, and we will get into why. It's not for the same reasons that it did to, uh, did it to me when I was 10, but um, this movie is still, I think, one of, if not the scariest movie that Hollywood has ever made. Mike, what is your personal history with The Exorcist? The movie, not the... Not the, the guy? Of, yeah. Uh, I saw this movie in theaters, not because I'm 50 years old, uh, or even older, I guess, because I wasn't zero when I saw it. <laughs> Uh, they re-released it when I think I was in like sixth or seventh grade, like remastered, recut, and me and a friend went and saw it, and then he, we refused to go to bed the rest of the night. It, I remember <laughs> being terrified, but then watching it now as an adult, 
I was just like, I know I saw this. I really don't remember a lot of this. There's just like cool character drama that I did not remember at all from when I was a kid. And then uh, the minute Max Van Sydow just stands in front of the house, I went, no, I've seen this fucking movie now. <laughs> <laughs> On a poster. Mike, usually it takes three kids in a trench coat to buy a ticket to this movie. Were, was there a third kid you're leaving out or were you two very tall? We killed that kid. Oh. Oh, wow. He said uh, he was pro-Reagan, and he did not mean the character, Linda Blair. He meant the president, and so we went, well, ah. we're going to beat your conservative ass. Well, there's there's no excuse for that. How did you think, watching it now, um, how did you think it, it holds up, Mike? Uh, I Again, all the character drama, loved. Uh, I think this is an interesting movie about losing your faith and finding your faith, and there's a side movie about what it's like to be a single mom who's a working actress and your husband's a piece of shit. Uh, scary? No, not in the slightest, not in any way, shape, or form. I've been wondering this whole time of, can, if you are not religious, can these kinds of movies be scary? Uh, there's a lot of these movies, so I don't want to put it all on the one, but this one at least is no, no. I it, was, think it, it was a good old time of the movies, but it was not scary. Well, I, Ryan, let me interrupt you there. Let's put a pin in that, and we will take what Pazuzu calls the quickest of breaks. And when we come back, we'll talk about whether or not this movie has the thrills, the chills, and we know it has at least a couple of spills that still tickle and titillate our spines. The Exorcist is our biggest 1973 movie. It was the most popular then. It's the most popular now. It made the most money, got hella noms, and has a lasting cultural impact that is as big, if not bigger, than any other movie we've covered on this show, let alone in the sleepy little year 1973 turned out to be. It's a fun little romp about growing up. Our bodies change, and we become host to new desires we never knew we had before. In the end, those around us feel like they hardly know us anymore. And we may have killed a director, one of the biggest crimes of 1973. <laughs> a demon from Iraq possesses a little girl and tortures her in a race against the medical establishment and Catholic Church to see who can mess her up the most. A tortured and conflicted priest is finally able to cast the demon out, slash, accept the demon into his own soul, and then save the day with a little auto-defenestration. Fifty years after its release, everyone knows every scary set piece of The Exorcist through watching the movie or countless references and clip shows. So how does the movie remain widely considered the scariest movie of all time? Or is this maybe not actually a very scary movie? Question mark. I Mike, you were just saying this. You Do you think this movie is, do you defend what you said just moments ago? That this I movie is flip flopped. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, yeah, it's it's. I don't know if uh, because it's been it parodied to death, shown to death, clips showed to death. Uh, other movies have come out that are scarier. Uh, I'm a big boy who wears big boy pants, and so movies can't scare me anymore. Not true because I watched Crawl last night. Crawl's terrifying, you guys. Um, I don't know if old movies are scary, and like I love The Shining, and I do know images of it scared me as a kid, but like. It's. I think there's like tension and pacing that I, I I might just be too MTV generation. My brain is broken and slower, methodical horror just can't get me. I don't know. It just didn't do it for me. Ryan, this movie scary? Yes or no? Yes. Why? Okay. Um. I. I read at some point a long time ago. I heard somebody say that uh, this there's like evil on the celluloid that there's just something fucked up about this movie like in its core and i don't i don't think that seeing reagan rise above the bed 
gets to me anymore. And maybe that part never did. I don't think that her masturbating with the crucifix, although sexy as fuck, is is like that is technically scary. Yeah. I think we we're have not to- here to kink shame. Do what you're gonna do, ladies. That didn't even read as as masturbation to me. That was she was attacking that thing. Yeah, I mean that's stabbing. That's I don't well, know if that counts as you like you guys remember being twelve and you're horny, you just attack it. You don't know what you're doing. You know what it I is? I, you know how when you rent a car you just sort of flog it? That's what Pazuzu <laughs> was doing. You know, that body's a rental for the old Pazuz. Sorry, Ryan, you were saying scary. I, I mean, I think with that we have to go into what scary means. And mm. I think that there's not a lot of jump scares, which is the thing that we complain about all the time anyway. That right. like if a movie goes for jump scares, then we say, oh, that's not scary. Even if we jumped, that's weak. Like that bothers us. But I think that if it seeps into your brain and it makes you, you know, sort of creeped out during it and after it, that's what we're looking for. This movie... I think it's so creepy from start to finish around the set pieces, but just watching the people talk, watching the people mentally break down throughout the course of it, that is so freaky. This movie is essentially start to finish in very normal circumstances, and this is what I think the director did such a good job of doing, Um, in very normal circumstances, very grounded ways, uh, Strangers in Strange Lands. Right, they're like nobody is where they're supposed to be, but it's not somebody is on Mars, right, or somebody is all of a sudden underwater. They're just in slightly like they're in a different city, or they're in uh, like an actress in Washington, right? <gasps> exactly, or but like that that is it's awkward for them, you mm-hmm. know. It's it and they don't. There's no security. There's no comforts of home. And then it ramps up. All, all of a sudden, I'm in a I'm a, a priest in a subway, and I'm just slightly. Awkward. It's, I'm slightly like I don't know what exactly what I'm doing, and yeah, the comforts are gone. And once those comforts are taken away, you start to get more and more and more on edge. And the way that the movie slowly turns up the dial of discomfort is what mm-hmm. makes it so scary. This guy want this guy made a drama with pea soup scenes every every once in a while, and that is what makes it scary. See, I feared this movie my entire life a big part of it was i was raised catholic and so i was like no i don't feel like seeing a movie about demons and and the devil because that just seems too scary and i have to admit like ducking it and trying not to watch it and when we were talking about doing this season i had to like confront that okay you're definitely gonna have to see this and i was trying to i think keep it at arm's length a little bit but it and maybe because i had seen so many of the set pieces before but here's the ultimate test for me about whether or not something is scary. It's not when I'm watching it, if I'm scared, although that's a good indication. It's like when I'm going to bed later that night, mm-hmm. is it in me? And do I like, am I afferred because of that? And I slept pretty soundly the night after I watched this. I, I didn't I didn't watch it like in the dark. Um, I didn't watch it all alone. I didn't like try to make it spooky. But I think there are several weird choices. And I'll tell you the number one weirdest choice that kept this thing from being really scary for me is I would never in a million years have Pazuzu show up on screen as much as he, she, it does. Mm-hmm. I felt like there was a couple times where there was just a flash of the old Pazuz and it was very scary because it was like, did I just see the Pazuz? But when it's like two seconds and I'm just looking at this person's face covered in makeup, and they're like, Bleh. I that was a bad choice for me. I don't think that really did it. The book, in the book, it's like, 
is this girl possessed? Because there's weird things happening, but there's no confirmation in the book. Well, it's weird in the book when you flip the page and that face is just (laughs) right there. (laughs) Yeah. And so I think it would have been scarier not to, like, see that face. Draws this shit. Well, maybe just the flash that goes on, like, the priest's face or maybe the flash that's on Linda Blair's face for a second. But that's it. And everyone knows, Mike, that the Pazuzu broke down. They were going to use it way, way more, but right. they had to cut it back. Uh, the version that Mike saw first, I believe I read, the one that he saw in theaters, they added a ton of those faces because it was so scary in the original. They were like, well, if it's so scary in the original, fucking double them up, baby. <laughs> yeah, in, the, in that version, there's a scene of her, like she leaves the room and she's like crab walking down the stairs. And I remember that scaring me back then. Uh, and now it just scares me because my back is hurt, and I'm like, yeah. oh, that poor kid. Uh, <laughs> I, I think there's it, like a deeper horror of like little girl is in pain and we don't know what to do for her, but that's not like scary, scary. Burson is it it's Ellen Burstin. Burson? Burstin. Ellen Burston into the room. Uh, she, <laughs> she sells it, and anytime it's her trying to talk to like Reagan is not in the room, and Ellen is talking to doctors or any person of authority and try to explain that I think is terrifying that like yes. a parent's fear. Nobody trusts me. Uh, and, and then she doesn't say things like, no, no, no. I know you're like, it could be psychological, but little bitch's head did spin around once before the priests see that later. So maybe like she could have shared those moments. I do like that. Honestly, that was one of the things that creeped me out the most was how people, the movie shows you people for sure. See that something supernatural is going on. But because if that happens to us, we would, kind of like erase it people do that and so they're like maybe the bed was just rocking no come on dude you saw that it was up to like waist level (laughs) Uh, do you know what did scare me and i think is the and so many horror movies are like people vomited and they had to be dragged out because the train seemed so real coming at the screen this one (laughs) is that train fucking vomited the train (laughs) your train mother sucks train dicks in hell uh is the it's like the catheter in her neck thing and just spewing That's what blood. made most people pass out. And then I looked into it and it was that. It was like, that makes sense. Also, is this movie bullshit? And looked, it was like, no, that's how that surgery works. They have to insert the catheter to get to the brain through the neck and then inject the ink for the, all that. But like, they didn't explain that. So I was like, stupid movie bullshit. Until I looked <laughs> it up. One of like, aside from from being scary, I thought the the whole medical establishment versus the church thing was, was pretty interesting. Um, do you think that it's not scary anymore because pop culture has leached everything out of it because we've seen... I mean, I knew the upside down walking down the stairs thing, even though that wasn't in the original cut. I knew the head turned around thing. I knew how gnarly she was going to look. I think that like it's sort of our job, and it's a very hard job. Some say impossible, right? To like You can only be who you are and watch it when you do. Uh, to judge these movies, uh, but I I think that it's we're sort of responsible to like place ourselves in certain positions and say like I can see what it would be like if at all possible to sort of say uh, 1973 and, and like take on this impossible job of saying like back then before countless episodes of The Simpsons and um, Airplane and epic movie X movies. Right. that have come out since then what this would have been like but again still like i i just think that there's so much scary around it and but jaws had all that 
and then the rewatch still hits, I think. And be, mm-hmm. there, there's a level of like tension pulling and creating Spielberg does in Jaws that I don't know if Friedkin does here. You know, I think in a big I, part, it's he is dedicated to making like having the movie part really be what is important to him and less the horror part, mm-hmm. I felt like. I felt like the movie spends a lot of time trying to digest a lot of big issues. And in fact, the next thing I'm going to want to talk about is, does it try to talk about too much stuff? But those parts of the movie seemed stronger to me than the horror elements, to I, be honest. And yeah, I'm not, I, I think it's a scary movie and I'm not arguing with that. I think that William Freakin, who always feels like there's another word coming, like William Freakin Freakin <laughs> Weekend, um, <laughs> has on the record in countless interviews saying, I didn't make a horror movie. Right. Which, I mean, is he's the kind of guy who says, bullshit like that you know uh but you can i i really feel his focus on the scenes that aren't set pieces and i feel like he is just doing sort of not half-assed john carpenter but like it's not where his interest lies right it's just not then why when this movie that's so great sorry (laughs) (laughs) well i think we'll have a chance to talk about that on the other side of not just this break but this Demon draft. Demon armies. Sure, we'd all love to have one. It would solve so many problems. But how in this day and age would you even put one together? Well, good news, guys. I've been reading the Necromicon, and um, it tells you how to do it. So now we can summon any of the demons, provided, and devils, provided they are from the pop culture landscape is that one of those books that just like by reading it you put yourself and all of us in danger oh yeah oh yeah uh anytime someone has read that book they're like ah man i wish i hadn't read that (laughs) if if you hear a recording of somebody reading that book you're fucked yes watch a silent video of someone reading it you're fucked Mm -hmm. oh yeah dude you might be a redneck honestly your cousin's best friend from two towns over his girlfriend, she read it. Now you're fucked because you heard that story. This is the fentanyl of books, basically. <laughs> if you are even in an adjoining room, you will just pass out. If you're a cop. So what we are going to do, we're going to start with Mike and then Ryan and then Greg. We're going to go through. We're going to have four total rounds. Two now. Two in the future. And we are trying to put together an infernal army of pop culture devils and demons and then we're gonna have them square off and we're gonna see who we think can take it which of the three demonic armies has what it takes to to take it all down mike you got the first pick who are you going with and for first pick there's there's two i have holding in my hands that i wish was on fire uh and it's like who do i want to piss off and right now uh, true to myself, true to my history, and because I play things poorly, piss off the host. I'm gonna take darkness. Jesus, Tim Curry from Legend. Christ. Um, Mike almost wasn't on this show, and so I was like, the same way I felt when my wife and I go to an Indian restaurant, which is all this curry is for me. Uh, <laughs> but the second I heard you were gonna be on the show, I was like, crap, 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 crap. And then you got the first pick, and what can I say except pretty good pick, man. 
Uh, Mike, tell the people, because not everybody has seen Ridley Scott's Legends, Tim Curry's The Darkness. Oh, um, all those lucky people? What are, what are we working with here when we talk about The Darkness? It is Your feelings about the movies aside, because you're wrong and it's an amazing movie. Amazing uh, is, movie. His uh, all prosthetics, all legit CGI. There is weight to this devil. Yes. And his horn wingspan is like five feet across. Yes. Giant, massive. He, he, the, the, your, your chiseled devil face, chin. Uh, uh, this sexy six pack. Oh, he's got those D'Angelos, those satanic D'Angelos. He makes he makes Lily dress evil. Yeah, but yeah, it's kind of interesting if you're a young man watching the movie. <laughs> oh, should I be into evil? Wait, she looks different. Am I evil? <laughs> uh, he and he has you know that deep, deep, scary Tim Curry voice. Yes, uh, and, it, but still the Tim Curry charm, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. Close watchers of pop culture after 1986 or 7 will notice that Tim Curry could not move his head or neck to the left or right no. in any role after this movie. Him chasing Kevin McAllister in Home Alone 2 is very Christian Bale's Batman. Just full <laughs> body turn. But those well, horns. I mean, when we're talking demonic armies, we're talking about horns. And wow, he's got he's got quite the set on him. Now I'm like I'm sorry to be a bad friend, but I thought this was an all Mike all the time pick. I did not know that Greg was into this. Gentleman. Oh, I, I am pretty sure Mike and I have on the show. Like I almost watched all of Legend just watching clips. I I watched all the Tim Curry parts of Legend <laughs> to prepare for this show. Huh? And Mike, what does he do? What do you mean? What does he do? Like you you picked him first for your battle. Like does he, he kills does he, a fucking oh, unicorn? How about that? My, he's my leader. Yeah, he's he's the general of the demon army for sure. And he makes all your other people in your army dress evil? He makes them dress evil, if you know what I'm saying. He sends people out to scurry into the, the good lands and kills uh, innocent things like unicorns. Uh, because I think that's how you live forever in some certain mythology. He's trying to kill the light. Yeah. Because he like is the, the darkness. Yeah. Uh, the only downside is his weakness is like like sunlight will kill him vampire style he's he's definitely riding that line between demon and vampire you know where Mm. it's like one kind of bleeds into the other and he is kind of like a vampiric demon guy aren't we all yeah is it uh is it munching down on unicorn horns is that what you're down on unicorn horns i think it's their blood and then the horn Uh, is just like a trophy is that maybe you grind off a little bit of that it snort that shit right yeah, now. Yeah, dude. I'm just gonna do a gummer. You guys come on. <laughs> you just got two more hours of immortality. <laughs> Was that the line from that uh John Mellencamp song, Slipper Down on Unicorn Horns outside <laughs> yeah, the Tasty Freeze? Exactly. <laughs> Ryan, Charlie Murphy has no, I'm sorry. Uh the darkness from uh Legend has already been taken. What are you doing with your se- with the second pick? Um I am going to uh, – well, I mean, I, I've lost this round because Greg is the host and loves Tim Curry from Legend. But I'm going to – And from the Command & Conquer series. Of course. <laughs> along with Carrie Warber. <laughs> we all love her, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm on a wiki right now, and I'm going to quote it. Uh, he doesn't have a tragic backstory or a motive for his actions. He's evil just for the fun of it. However – most material outside of Fantasia depicts him as a ruthless monster feared by all who encounter him. I'm taking Chernabog. That's a good pick. That was the other one when I said, who do I want to hurt tonight? And I decided really? to hurt Greg and I. Chernabog. Yeah. Wait, am I a Chernabog guy? You, everybody knows you're a Chernabog guy. Say more. Where is he from again? 
He's from Fantasia. Boom, 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 boom. Mm. That's He's his the theme giant song. guy doing the okay. arms. I'll let Ryan take this. Why am I trying to help with my body movements? Um, yeah, he's uh, just to me. He has the perfect demon look, right? Uh, horns that come out of his head, big wings, and just pure fucking evil. And from this wiki, for the hell of it, I love that. I love the idea of like I'm just a baddie. I don't have any reason for wanting to be bad. I just enjoy. Yeah, dude, very cool. Um, great aesthetically, like too strong. Aesthetic picks for you two guys. I like also, that. This is not a Beetlejuice situation, but just say his name. Chernabog. It's just fun to say. Chernabog. Kind of. And also, uh, I feel like the show, the cartoon Gargoyles, taking a strong note from this. Yes. We wouldn't even have the show Gargoyles. And Did the we show talk about Chernobyl. <laughs> yes. Did we talk about what makes a demon? No. Dark ritual? It... No, it... like d- defining, oh. <laughs> not how do we make one right now, Greg? <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, what makes a demon, Ryan? Oh, I don't know, because um, I. Know I think different... if you got horns and you've got ill intent and you come from hell or Hades, then I think there's an argument to be made for some or the others. But like, if you got horns, wings, and you're demonic, <laughs> you're a demon. But there's no like, there's no anti-hero demon, right? Like you got to be fucking evil for the fun. Um, uh, Mike has an argument. Oh, well, well, I don't know. There is one. I guess there's one guy I'm thinking of who. In fact, let's move on to my pick. Super duper Lucifer. Um, guy. He was supposed to be the ultimate baddie. He was supposed to bring about Ragnarok, but he's like, you know what? Couldn't I just throw on this trench coat? fire this big gun, and punch people with my huge red stone hand. That's right. The Hellboy himself was supposed to be the leader of the apocalypse, the Antichrist, but instead he just wanted to go, son of a, before punching Cthulhu in the face. I have, for a October treat, been rereading Hellboy, and it's so fun. He's so cool. So he's going to be my pick. He may be like, I don't want to be involved with all these other demons. Well, too bad, Hellboy. Too bad. He's he's gruff, rough, and tough. But I think I'm going to need somebody who is like a little smoother. Somebody who is um could do a little bit of the talking for me. Someone who could possibly say detective. I'm going to go with <laughs> Lucifer from the hit show Lucifer. Uh, decides he doesn't want to be in hell anymore. Instead, he wants to be in the next worst place, Los Angeles. Am I right? Uh, And play in his piano bar. I'm going with the man himself, Lucifer. What I like about this pick, uh, Greg, with this, uh, the second pick is that both of his hands are the same size. I appreciate that. Well, yeah, he's got to play the piano, right? Yeah. Hellboy destroys uh, the bass part of every piano. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so I got Lucifer. I got Lucifer and Hellboy. I feel like I've got uh, uh, the the king of punching, and then also the guy who's gonna do a little bit of sweet talking, get us out of problems. Mike, or no, I'm sorry, Mike. Put a put a ham in it, Mike. Mike, settle the fuck down. Yeah, bro. dude, calm down. Ryan, it's back to you. Who else you got? Um, with Chernabog at my back, 
I will bring up my front. And that's not your mama. <laughs> it's not your mamu. It's Dormammu. Doctor Strange's longtime rival and a fire-headed demon. And just and an all-around bad guy. Just such a fucking piece of shit, I'm going to say. I got to say, just an awful, awful person. We hate but him. He's, he's from hell. He does magic, and uh, people don't like him. Now, this is like one of like a couple of different big Marvel demons, right? Because there's also, what's the I'm, big one? Mephisto? I'm skipping over, yeah, I'm skipping over one big, big baddie who I don't like for a couple reasons. Um, one, his font when he speaks in comic books is too hard to read. Yeah, dude. <laughs> Let's skip over these parts. Yeah, I'm sure he's not saying anything interesting. Uh, but yeah, over, um, I don't know, the last couple of years, Dormammu has become more interesting to me. Uh, he's become more three-dimensional in comic books and video games, believe it or not. And so I'm going with this guy. Nice. Is he in, does he have a snap card, Mike? Not yet. And he has an adorable young son in Strange Academy. Yes, he does. <laughs> I love that. Dilton or Dalton? <laughs> Dalton, d- yeah, Dalton Doily or something. It's something so goofy, so comic booky. But he he has he's a little kid with the Dormammu head, <laughs> just hanging out with other little kids. Oh my gosh! Very good. I like that pick, Mike. Who is your last pick of the second round? I'm gonna go. I want a. Uh, you know, you don't want too many generals in the kitchen. Nothing will yes. get cooked. So I want a good lieutenant who's going to go and fuck shit up, and I want Gozer. They can possess people. They can turn into evil, creepy dog things. Uh, maybe you give them belly rubs in between battles. My wife and I were talking about whether or not Gozer <laughs> is a devil or a demon. Is, he's more than just a spirit. He's an actual demon. I think, yeah, I think Gozer's an interna- interdimensional, international, interdimensional demon. I'm an international demon. <laughs> That's why you should vote for me this November. Now, turned into or has control of? Is she in charge? There's Zool and there's Gozer. They are different names. One's the gatekeeper and one's the key master. Of course. So I'm definitely not get these two together. I'm taking taking Gozer the gatekeeper. Gozer the Gozerian. Yes. Okay. From Ghostbusters, we should say. Oh, did we not say that? Well, I love it. So, Mike, you have the Darkness and Gozer. Ryan, you have Chernabog and Dormammu, which is like, that's, you got the names covered, man. And I have Hellboy and Lucifer. I gotta, I gotta give it to Mike for round one. Mike's team so far is taking it down the Darkness and Gozer. When we return back to the movie. With commentary on being a single mother, being an actress, the medical establishment, the Catholic Church, archaeology, attic maintenance. Is this movie trying to say and be about too many things and then ultimately not really getting there with any one of them? I mean, you could also add puberty onto the list. You could. This I, movie is a temp- one, Greg. What'd you say? I'd say that's a big one, Greg. Yeah, right. I felt like watching this movie. It's trying to take a bite of so many different apples that I feel like it never quite gets there with exactly what it wants to be about or takes enough time to say what it's trying to say about any subject. Do you guys agree or disagree with that? You guys are never going to believe this, but because we watched this movie for this podcast, I love it straight up. Unless it's fucking Robin Hood. Uh, Uh 
specifically the Disney one and not Prince of Thieves, a movie that I love because we've watched it for this podcast. I uh, I loved it. And so I totally get where you're coming from. And I think it's I, I sort of think that this question is because we the three of us wanted to talk about so many things. Like, how do we do it all? Mm-hmm. I watching this movie. I think that uh, we used to be a country. We used to be a society and we used to make good movies. And this is how movies used to work. So instead of making movies for children, like we do now, where we have nothing to say and nothing to talk about, we used to make interesting choices, and we used to have so much to say because we were making choices and scenes. Now we have to make everything banal and stupid and vanilla. I think that this movie is about clearly puberty, but also so many other things if you want it to be. I don't see this as about too much. I think this movie is about whatever you take from it if you do. I think that there's a good chance that 75% of this audience takes nothing about the protesting movie that Chris is making. Right. Right. That like just does not glom onto that at all. Uh, the Disney version of the Ho Chi Minh story, I believe it's referred to. And and like William Freakin, William Freakin, Freakin (laughs) is totally fine with that. Um, But I just think that there's so much interesting in this movie that like, it doesn't uh, uh, like appear to me as too much. Well, what do you think you're saying? Because when we first meet uh, Burston, she is doing a scene and saying, like, we all care about human rights, but don't we need to talk to each other or something lame? Uh, I mean, it feels like she's making an anti-protest movie. Like, she's like, I I took it to be a sign that she is an older actress. Yes. In the movie. She's in, like, the Disney Channel Hallmark movie part of her career. Telling everybody to calm down, not care about the things they care about so hard. Right. That's, yeah, kind of what it feels like. Like, maybe don't get involved, everybody. Tune back in. Drop back in. <laughs> Pay more attention. Um, the, the most compelling part, I thought, was the comparisons between the medical establishment, which um, kind of continually just, like, scratches its head and goes, um, I don't know. Have you tried shaking the shit out of her? Uh, I don't know. Have you tried grabbing her by the ankles and dunking her in something? And the idea of like that the cure is so much worse than the disease with the mm-hmm. medical establishment. And I like versus how the possession is kind of the same thing. Like the possession and the exorcism is also like she's getting so messed up physically by both the demon being in her, but then also by the cure, which yeah. is driving the demon out. So I felt like that was very interesting, but I felt like the movie like was also trying to say all of these different things that it doesn't really like and lean on that enough or finish whatever its point is about it. To to tie those two just those two things together, the the bullshit movie Burskins in, in the beginning, and then the cure is just as bad as the disease. Nobody wins because everybody dies and the demon calls it. Like, hey, no, I wanted to bring us together. And the guy's like, You and Reagan? And Demon's like, No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. Me and the two of you. Uh, it's the you know the the, the war is ending. If, I, I'm so bad at ge- geography and yep. history. Geography of war, time. The war is ending. People are dealing with it, right? And they're, they're, nobody won. And I do think it's dealing with that. Like so, that's why that's that movie in the beginning. We're we're talking about those things, and then at the end, it's like no, no, no. We're all gonna die here. And Reagan made it out, quote unquote, but took a bunch of people with her, and also is clearly gonna be traumatized because. Even though the mom's like, she doesn't remember anything. The way she looks at the priest at the end, she remembers everything. Yeah, yeah. is the end of this movie a little pat? That's another thing yeah, that I mom, thought was like kind of quickly done was the ending. The mom sneaks over to the uh, one father that made it out. 
Uh, and she's like, oh, just so you know, she doesn't remember anything. <laughs> just like, hey, audience, everyone can leave. Everybody's yeah. okay. Just <laughs> it's so over. Know. Don't worry. Yeah. Um, but, but part of like what I was questioning about in the movie in terms of what its messages are, how does Father Karis, how does he know and is he right that the thing to do is somehow get the demon to go into him and then for him to jump out the window. And now, as Hamlet says, the cannon is fixed against self-slaughter. So how is it that he knows that the right thing to do is to kill himself while the demon's inside him? That might have been the exact thing that the demon wanted him to do, right? Uh, not his problem now, though. <laughs> like, the, usually in a movie... And maybe I'm being simple in a way that I wouldn't be about other movies. But normally there'd be like some... I feel like there should be like some filmic clues that what has to happen is he has to take the evil into himself and then sacrifice himself. But instead of giving us that, we just watch it happen. And then we are like, I hope that is what had to happen. It's a good point because... It's a good point because I, I do think that Catholics or religious people don't watch this as a horror movie, but instead it's like they're Rudy. They go in and they're like, Catholics, Catholics. And like Ooh. the Catholics beat Rudy them. is also that for Catholics, I should mention. Because <laughs> it's Notre Dame. Yeah. Uh, like they beat their bad guy, but also uh, Possess Reagan at one point says, uh, I'm not here for Reagan. I'm here for you, you little bitch. Like yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get you. And then finally takes over Karis and Karis figures out, Oh, all I have to do is jump out this window and then still get read my last rights? Like, his fingers are moving at the end. He doesn't die when he hits the bottom of the stairs. Right? Yeah, he's, he's, he's doing a little air guitar, like, yeah. <laughs> I won. <laughs> I, I, I think why I, I that, it, as I've said, I'm on Team Greg here, and I don't think it's a perfect movie, but why that worked for me is, like, because he's the faithless priest, and so doing it at the end, like, he he's won his faith back. And it's not just, well, I saw a demon, so of course I believe now it's... It, innately he kind of knows what to do and he's sacrificing himself i do love the idea that like his faith isn't restored by god his faith is restored by the devil yes like and that, I, that like his faith is that's what i was gonna say is that like his faith is not it, come back it's like his faith is like now it will never be fucking restored again now i doubly don't believe oh you now, think he ends the movie doubly not believing like uh, I was like I don't or it's it I I I lost my faith in God and now fuck fucking God now it's like for God to do any of this I fucking hate God that's what I think the point of the movie is so like not the point but like that's Karis's final thing is that I'm going to end it going from father to lost faith to fuck God I'm going to jump at this window knowing that there is a God and he is a piece of shit Oh, that's you, definitely to, not how I took the ending. To make, I mean, to make all of this happen, he is awful. What, what, what in the movie makes you think that about him, though? That he like because he thinks that there is nothing. He like he goes from like I I believe that he goes from Catholic to agnostic or mm-hmm. God forbid, somebody forbid atheist, and then uh, sees that like all of this did happen, and that now he is like. Okay, so this person is actually letting all of this happen. If there is a devil, there must be a god. Uh, and then does whatever he can to save this one girl, knowing that why be on this planet anymore? So oh, I, mean, I took the whole like 
taking the demon into himself, sacrificing himself, getting the last rites, still having that Christopher medal. I took all of that to be that like his faith had been ultimately completely restored and you have the exact opposite inclination about it. What was your inclination about it, Mike? I, I thought restored. Yeah. I thought that was his, like he went back in because after he's sitting there like shell shocked and he goes back and he's like, nah, I gotta do it. And yeah, it just, it felt to me in the, like maybe there's scenes I wasn't missing, but he still had the medallion on. Uh, like there, there's just nothing to me that says he lost his faith even harder. Yeah, me neither. I guess I, 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 and that's what that's why I like. I don't need movies to spell things out for me, but I just have a hard time building a case one way or another for what he did. I mean, I, I still think Mike and I have the the right of it that it has to do with like some sort of return to faith that he he accepts God at the end, and that's why he has the last rites and everything. Um, but I just wish there was more to kind of point us in one direction or the other. The I last thing know. I want to uh, talk about in, in relation to this, have this conversation. That's true. I, I, the last thing I want to talk about in, in relation to this is I feel like this movie was doing a lot extremely subtly with like how people are tormented by their sexuality. And I wished the movie would talk more about characters who were not the little girl, Regan, who were clearly dealing with sexual issues like i feel like there's a few people who might have sexual hang-ups in this but the movie kind of doesn't lean into that as much what do you think this movie is saying about sex and sexuality i i I think the the big one and it is dealing with reagan is that people do not like dealing with young women becoming women and yeah. owning their sexuality. Obviously, there's violent, horrific things, and you can argue whether it is or is not her choice. But I think it's impossible to talk about the the way the mom at one point is like that. I don't know who that is, but that demon up there is yeah. not my daughter who <laughs> wants to just masturbate and speak with that potty mouth. Like it's about growing up. Yeah, and I've heard so many arguments for this movie that it is pro female sexuality, and it's like it it's hard to make that argument. I think based on the like what I've read and like what we were like taught in the classes that I've taken about how no, but like she does get to freely masturbate and she masturbates in front of her mom. And like, these are, this, these like are, we this all is, want to like, we all like, this is tough stuff. Um, it is true, but, uh, I, this feels like a bunch of dudes being repressed, 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 right? Like, yes. And I think that's why the demon is constantly telling the priests where to stick their cocks. I think that's very specific. She's always telling priests, stick your cock up her ass, stick your cock up his ass, up each other's pee holes. Like, <laughs> that demon wants everybody to fuck. And I think it's very much teasing the priests, like, the priests, that they cannot. Did any, Everybody should have stopped and been like, demon, do you just want to party? And he would have <laughs> been like, hell yeah. Spuds McKenzie comes out. Oh, my God. Buster Poindexter comes in. Me feeling hot, hot, hot. when we come back let's draft the rest of our demon army let's get demonic all right mike it is back to you who Uh, is your third round pick for team mike sometimes you need you need the first demon on the front lines to like go and weaken things A, a real shit kicker if you will. And that's why I'm going to take the Golgothan shit demon from Dogma. 
It is a demon made up of all of the fecal matter and ooze and bile from everybody who was killed on Golgotha Hill in the biblical mythology. Now, is this a shit demon or a shit golem? Golem, excuse me. In the movie, they say shit demon. Shit demon. Okay, then I, I, I am forced to accept it. And he has little um, shit antennae that move around. That's very silly. <laughs> Definitely, you will have the stinkiest combatant. Do you think he's got mm. good offensive weapons besides that? Yeah, more than just the smell that distracts people. I, I think he's very bulky and hulky and strong. And he's certainly bulky. He's a dude in a big rubber suit, so he looks like a, the worst kaiju of all time. <laughs> well, yeah. Can you imagine a kaiju made of poop? That's too much. <laughs> Can you even imagine? <laughs> Shit, demon. Now, of course, we know that that is what happens when you uh, flush too many of those wipes and mm-hmm. too much um, bacon grease down your drain <laughs> to get those huge shit demons. Ryan, who can counter the shit demon? I am a scotch nervous about my leadership, but with my Dormammu and my uh, Chernabog. And so I am going to go with who will probably be my leader. And I'm going to go with somebody who is so cleverly named by some of the greatest screenwriters in Hollywood history. Uh, I'm going to go with lawyer John Milton, as played by uh, Al Pacino himself in the film The Devil's Advocate. (laughs) Yes. Um, Al Pacino, like in a a movie that really highlights how tiny he is, which I think is so interesting because his devil is little bitty devil guy. Don't worry about me. I'm just a little guy. But so smooth, some of that over-the-top Al Pacino action. And you have him as, like, the leader, right, Ryan? I think so, yeah. He is, as as in terms of devils go, he is the least interventionist devil that we have, though. His whole thing is, like, he also believes in free will in Devil's Advocate. So he's going to be doing a lot of tempting people. I love it. All right. So, I'm gonna, Pacino. It's just that if you guys fight against Chernabog or Dormammu, he will sue the shit out of you and he will win. So, <laughs> maybe in this yeah. battle, let my team win. His whole speech is that, like, the lawyerfication of the world will make it so awful that uh, everyone will just turn to the devil. Is he wrong? I don't think he's wrong at all, Ryan. All right, so I'm going to need... I think I need a little bit more leadership myself um, because honestly you would think Lucifer would provide that leadership, but from Lucifer, he like very much doesn't want to be in charge. And then Hellboy again, like he is like purposely not being in charge. And so I'm going to go with a character from perhaps one of the freakiest things of all time, which is the hereditary Wikipedia page um, from the terrifying, uh, hereditary Wikipedia page, the demon Paimon, um, who is King Paimon, the king of hell, um, and uh, also loves bright, flashy lights. So, like when there was that gout of fire suddenly up in the attic, I was like, oof, that's a clear Paimon sign. Also, the hereditary wiki has several scary parts <laughs> in attics. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, he's. Probably probably from the scariest movie that we have even mentioned tonight. Um, or the rather, the Wikipedia, because that's, that's what I'm going with. Um, guys, do you think that payment is a good pick for me? Uh, I think Payman? he's a good pick for you. I think he's the second best pick of this round. Does Ooh. he also love 
old nude people? Well, um, old, love, old nude people love him. It's uh, weird because uh, according to the the hereditary Wikipedia, um, he's not actually that keen to be manifest on earth but this cult of his really <laughs> is keen to make a manifest on earth so like he keeps getting trapped in the wrong bodies and they finally like line it up so that he's in the right body but he's like oh i'm i'm back here instead of being a demon i'm a i'm a i'm a dude now i'm this guy who just threw himself out a window cool good for me when people um, are manifesting they never ask the people that they're manifesting do you want to be manifested oh yeah oh yeah hereditary wikipedia is a lot about other people making choices for you and how like there's nothing that you can really do about that whether it be another generation or um there's just people around you all the time you don't even know how they interact with your life but they're making big big choices for you do you you smell a new pop filter podcast called hereditary wikipedia yeah and we just are going to review sentence by sentence every week (laughs) It's, it's very it's very spooky it's very spooky and then uh last for my team I've got a little bit of the salt. I'm going to need a little bit of that sugar. And no one brings more sugar than there are many incarnations of the devil on The Simpsons. But the one that will always be closest to my heart is when the devil is portrayed as Flanders himself (laughs) trying to trap Homer's soul by feeding him, uh, selling him a donut for his soul. And then Homer tries to just not eat the last little bit. But wouldn't you know it, his appetites get the better of him. And he ends up eating it. Shit Unfortunately that. for the devil Flanders, his soul already belongs to Marge, who he loves with, with all his heart and soul. Um, uh, but w- Which Marge has to regret instantly. Like, Marge has argued for Homer's soul so many times. But the perfect line in a perfect segment goes to uh, Lionel Hutz, who's like, a contra- what his definition of a contract like, and what is it, the, Ryan? You sign on this line, and it means that it's uh, like non-negotiable, non-negotiable, and then realizes that he won the case for the other side, and then he <laughs> runs out of the room and climbs out of the bathroom window. <laughs> Ryan, it's back to you for your last pick. Who is going to finish up your demon army? Uh, nobody picked the greatest of all time, the goat. So I'm taking Black Phillip. Nice. The goat. Just for that buildup. I love it. Is that from the Vivich? That's the Vivich. Hell yeah. That's uh is that the goat that uh says wouldst thou like to live deliciously? Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody, Which like, totally sounds like a Taco Bell ad, but <laughs> it's actually a line from the Vivich. Hey, after um the Chihuahua and fourth dinner, here's our new ad campaign. <laughs> live deliciously. <laughs> Just is that goat still saying it for Taco <laughs> Bell? How like to live is del- deliciously. Um, it's so scary. And again, one of those uh, turn up slowly throughout the movie yeah. until this goat is the freakiest thing I've ever seen in my life. I love it. I love that movie. And Mike, bring this pandemonium to a close. Uh, I'm thinking about my army, and I I want more front lines. And think about the the powers of demons and how we all need to think outside the box a little more many are one one is many deadites are a demon these are the deadites they work for the kandarian demon which is their ruler but the deadites are all one thing they're not zombies they're their own thing it's from the evil dead it's uh they can make plants fuck you they can make your best friends and siblings come back and talk to you and say you're a little piece of shit so you got psychological warfare and physical warfare uh, Deadites are scary and rule. Doesn't it sound like Ash started a doo-wop band and this is his backup singers? Ash and the Deadites! 
and the deadites and so they're they're like a big collective organism yeah they like they'll, they'll do the we're all talking at once many voice uh. thing or they'll in talk individually in different bodies but they they're a shared collective consciousness that's spooky as heck okay so mike you've got the darkness gozer those deadites and who is your other pick the gogothan shit demon the shit demon okay so that's that's your that's your team Ryan, you have Chernabog, Dormammu, the Vavich, the guy, Black and then Phillip. who is Black Philip, and then who is your third pick? John Milton from Devil's Advocate. Oh yeah, man, you're gonna okay. You you've got like a, a few different bases covered, and then I've got Hellboy, Lucifer, Payman, and the the Devil Flanders. So Ryan, what is your what's your strategy going to be here? Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a Fantasia demon, a Marvel demon, and a goat demon at you. And if anybody touches any of my people, I'm gonna sue the fucking shit. Out of you. <laughs> Mike, what's your strategy gonna be? Uh, I'm gonna weaken you all up with uh, first wave of deadites and Gozer. Uh, Gozer goes and finds like any weak points he gets in there. Uh, deadites mess you up, and then Gogoth and shit demon comes in. Uh, stinks you up, messes you up more, and darkness wins all the power. I'm going to send in Hellboy as my frontline fighter um, and then try to find one of your guys to possess with Payman uh, and then distract with the lovely piano strains of Lucifer um, (laughs) while Devil Flanders uh, tries to tie up specifically John Milton. That's really that guy's name from that movie? It is. It is. (laughs) One screenwriter read one book one time. <laughs> I love it. We did not pick the um, most important devil character of all time, which is Lucifer from Paradise Lost. Hey, good for us. Good for us we avoided that one. I'm going to give the points to Ryan. I think your team, Ryan, has what it takes. Three points to you, the king of the pandemonium. Can I do a couple of HMs? Sure. Um, I didn't know if Cthulhu counted. That's hard. He's like, I don't know. I don't think he's strictly a demon. Is I think he a he's a space alien. It's like an elder yeah, he's being like a multi-dimensional being. He's like from another plane of existence that we can't comprehend. So probably kind of a demon, I guess. Uh, there was a Brendan Fraser movie with Elizabeth Hurley as the devil. That yeah, I would me- sell my soul. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, South Park Devil, uh, up there where flowers Yeah, were. dude, if we I, had done this 20 years ago, South Park Devil for sure. Uh, I thought that Pazuzu might get mentioned. I didn't know that Pazuzu's name was never mentioned in the movie until tonight. That's that yeah. up? That's fucking crazy. It must be uh, from wise, the sequels, right? I think so. And, and the novel, then, probably. Uh, Slenderman was something that we missed out on because we're too old for the inter- that time of the internet, but uh, I think that he's a demon. Hmm. Well, there you go. Slenderman, a demon. When we come back, our final question of the evening, followed by several more questions. At the center of The Exorcist are two women going through a rough time. But is the film decidedly feminist or is it misogynistic? Can it be both? Make an argument for one or the other now. Why I no. don't think it's oh can we just opt out? I abstain. <laughs> I mean, can can we make an argument for a feminist movie directed by a man? So it's 
both uh, at the same Joss time? Joss Whedon did it. So <laughs> I'm like, never say that. Should I look up what he's been up to in the last? Uh, I I think because Burston is up against it, and everybody, all these men in positions of authority, are telling her she's wrong and no, and she is right, is why men are shown to be kind of fools in this movie, over and over and over again. And so I think ladies, they're doing it for themselves, and I think it leans more feminist than misogynist. I mean, priests are called in, and they're literally called fathers. But one of the first things they do, the doctors are insane. Uh, yes. it, it reminded me a little bit of a movie I saw recently. I don't know if you guys have caught it, called uh, Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon. I have that, not seen that. Uh, where doctors are not only cracks, uh, quacks, but... Um, uh, terrible at their job and evil and trying to get everything they can from the uh, Osage tribe. But do you guys remember back uh, seven years ago where you like had some trust in doctors, but not a bunch that this is what this movie reminded me of. But then when the pandemic happened, you were like, Oh, I have full faith in doctors no matter what, because the alternative was to be like, Oh, if I don't have full faith in doctors, I sound Republican. Right. That's yes. what this movie made me think of. It's like I used to not be so faithful in doctors. Um, the doctors sound crazy. It, it brought back all of those uh, articles I've read about how when women walk into doctors' offices, they're just not believed. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't. Whatever problems you're having, you just don't have them. Uh, you're a woman, so you don't understand what your body's doing. I don't think If I so. can't find it on the scan, it's not a I, real thing. So many times. But then the opposite. They're like, hmm, there's nothing wrong with her brain according to the scans. Should we scan her again? <laughs> Do another yeah. one? Pop off another scan real quick? Should we have another, another needle scan. in this child's neck? It's a particular problem with uh, black women. Uh, just that like, you are not believed. You have hysteria. I think that you have something that happened in the 1890s and the 2020s. This is a huge problem. Um, but also the first thing that the fathers say to Chris when they come over and see Reagan is, where is her father? You need to call her father right, right. now. Her deadbeat dad, who is not talked about in the he's, movie at all. I think you need to call his her way dad Europe? right now. He's yeah. in, he's literally in Rome, which feels like there's like an opening there to do something because mm. it's like, that's also where the Pope is. But it just feels like a happenstance. It doesn't feel like the movie's trying to do anything. Brain cannon, her dad is the Pope. <laughs> he, that's why she gets possessed. Here is why, to me, it seemed a little anti-feminist. When we start the movie up, she is an actress, and the, do- the, the mom is an actress, and the domestic duties that she has um, or that are th- th- in the house are taken care of by, like, staff. And she is primarily a worker, and there's no husband. And then by the end of the movie, it feels like a lot of that has been stripped away from her, and that she has been like pushed back kind of into the role of just mother. Like the 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 action of the movie takes away her job, takes away some of the help, and basically renders her just just the mother that becomes like the only thing that really seems to matter to her and that it just seems like there's something a little anti-feminist about that that it's like it feels like maybe in the beginning it's like well in these modern crazy times you know women are hardly even mothering and maybe there'll be some sort of disaster 
that makes it so that they have to return to those roots. Am I just projecting there? Not really. And not to be too judgy, but I'm going to say she does not have the best taste in men because we are made to believe. I, I trust Reagan when she says that she and Burke do have a thing. And Burke is the most classical drunk British fool of all time. Like when people hear that Burke, the director of the film she's working on, fell down the stairs and died. Everybody's like, yeah, that classic that Burke. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. I have a weird question. So the like nanny uh-huh. is there and Burke comes over. And Burke is this drunk director who, like, is the kind of the boss of the mom of the family. And the nanny's like, I got to run out to get some medicine. Do me a favor, would you? Would you stay here and be in charge of the sleeping 12-year-old girl upstairs? And then it's like, okay. And then we don't see this happen. But Burke somehow ends up in the room of the drugged up. She's not just sleeping at this point. She's completely drugged up. 12-year-old girl and then somehow Burke gets thrown out the window. Hey, yeah. Burke, what were you doing in the room, bud? I I was wondering if that was like freaking giving a freaking middle finger to people like Polanski. Yeah, if like, he's just roaming Polanski around the house. And so, but then again, I expected the movie like to deal with that. Kind of, yeah, to kind of <laughs> maybe do like, and I just felt like it's set out there. It's there for you if you want it. If you also want to construct a narrative where he's just Mr. Beaning around the house <laughs> and then he hears a loud noise come from upstairs and then he goes up there. That's okay, too. He's, but like, He's just looking for the butler to make more Nazi jokes at him because he happens to be Swiss. <laughs> I'm what Swiss, you bastard. I mean, that, you want to talk about too many themes in this movie. That scene was just like, I, if we if we want to cut something... I felt yeah. way too long on that. I'm like, what, what does it mean? Is there is there Nazi stuff throughout this movie? No, there's not. <laughs> Don't worry about that scene, guys. If I'm Burke and I'm Mr. Beanie through the house, I'm finding a giant turkey and I'm putting it right on my head. Of course. And then That's putting glasses on that turkey's head and then shaking your little tatas. But no, yeah, then, Burke, Burke went upstairs for one reason. Right? And uh, and so then that that was part of like the when I was talking about people's weird sexualities earlier. Is I was wondering if that is supposed to be like he was going up there with bad purposes and then it's almost like his death then doesn't hurt the audience as much the way that sometimes before someone dies in a movie, especially a horror movie, they'll be like, okay, check out this guy. He's racist. All right. We've established that he's racist. Okay. Now he like the killer is killing him. And so we're like less upset, Mm -hmm. but it's left for us to just decide what happened to Burke. And maybe that's interesting in a way, but it just, it feels like, don't you, as the creative force in the movie, want to tell us, like, give us some idea about what happened there? But I guess, I guess no. I mean, no, and like we can't, uh, we can't comment on what's not there, right? Like, we don't. It's just not there, so we don't know. But like, but not not Reagan, not not showing us something is a choice, and so I think we can examine that choice. Reagan doesn't kill a lot of people that aren't trying to kill the demon inside of her yeah and so either burke went up there to kill the demon inside of her or something else yeah (laughs) end of story um how about just focusing on um reagan is her story feminist or anti-feminist in any way or just neither because she's a child more than anything else I think that's why the argument that it's it is about people. The argument I made earlier, 
that it is about people being uncomfortable with young women's sexuality and them owning it becomes harder when you're like, well, it's a different entity is coercing her and took her over and forcing her to do things that kind of takes any feminist message out of that. Yeah. Because then she's not the one controlling it anymore. I mean, she seems, she is primarily, she like is the bad guy and is primarily the bad guy's main victim. Right. Right. And so she like, she, she, she occupies both those, roles at the same time um and, and it's not like reagan is a full-grown woman in the like the denouement or whatever that thing is at the end that we see where everything is happy and reagan doesn't matter or uh, right. doesn't remember rather uh um, which just feels so fake as someone watching it you're like that's not no there's no <laughs> and i'm gonna kiss you on the cheek father and sort of let you know that i do but i don't but i do remember like that was like her thanking him or like right. apologizing for killing his friends or something i don't know what it was but like that guy didn't do anything. And that guy, like, that character, I think, although very minor, deserves a whole other segment. Yeah. This third priest that's in the movie. But... I, I, Who's I a big fan of musicals and right. is extremely close to... Father Karras. Karras. Yeah. Really looks at him in a different way than any other character. And does. is like, it's always upsetting to see your friend die, but is like... I don't know. There just seems to be a different energy between the two of them. And I wondered yes. if like there is He's some absolutely in love with father Karras. Yes. Yeah. Right. And so then that's another, that's another interesting idea that I wish the movie had explored a little bit more rather than give us this hint that that's what's going on and then not do a ton with it. But yeah, see, I think that like, I love all of these seeds that are planted that are not sowed, I guess, or explored. Harvested. Just harvested. Just wish they would say a little bit more about some of them. But you know what that sound means. We have to move to our speed round now. Despite its easy-to-replicate premise, there has never been another good entry in this franchise. It's one for six. Why is that, do you think? I think that they take the iconic stuff, the, the head turning around, the pea soup, and they don't take the slow moments, the... Yeah character moments like that's what makes this movie I, I i bet a real filmmaker has not been behind the helm of any of these sequels sorry to all the people who did the sequels but I there's mean, mike just called you out hardcore <laughs> but, but there's yeah. no william friedkin types out there who freaking freaking <laughs> is this is this kind of um from the point of after the first one were they just banking so much on the name exorcist they didn't really care i mean they just like put anything out that they could this last one that came out, Mike, did you watch it? No. Uh, they were trying to do like a, all right, so Halloween was a big deal. Right. Got uh, Jamie Lee Curtis back. We'll get Ellen Burstyn back. And I heard that, um, what's Reagan's name? Linda Blair. Linda Blair back in a cameo. And it was supposed to be terrible. It was a huge flop. They paid like $400 million for that, oh. just the rights to get it back. Oh. As a, and that doesn't even include like the budget. Um so nobody cares about the franchise as a franchise. They might care about this movie, but they, uh, again, they're missing the point of like what makes this movie so cold and chilling to the veins. Yeah. With uh, black masses and Ouija boards and uh, conjuring the devil, can we hold it against this movie at all that it might have helped usher in the satanic panic of the 80s? Look, people at the time were champing of the bit to be scared of fucking something. And so that that's what it is. Both Reagan brought us Reagan, and then he brought us, let's be scared of bullshit. 
I grew up in the satanic panic and uh, the like child molestation craze of the 80s, and it turned out that it was all uh, family members. And priests. Like was, and priests. Like, it was all just people doing it to their own family members. Like, it was not a panic at all. I mean, that's always what it is. Like, that, it's that's where sexual abuse happens. It, do, it really does not often happen between a stranger who works at your daycare and you. Not that it never has, but, like, right. all of those people, like, the, those those stories were just completely debunked. And that's where it happened in the 70s and the 60s and the 50s and the 40s. It's always been the family members and or the priest. Is this movie just about owning a cat? (laughs) The constant vomiting, the going from cute and docile to trying to fuck up um, things 10 times their size. I don't know. It feels like this might be about cats. What do you guys think? I think so. Do you need to (laughs) exercise your cat? Does your cat need more exercise? My cat probably could use a little bit more exercise, but she doesn't want to do it. So I have one of those cats who would like, uh, if I put her on the treadmill, she would just like lie down and then cry. Don't make me do it. That's what uh, I know- when I'm on a treadmill. Knowing what we know now, does this movie miss an opportunity to take a couple more swings at the Catholic Church? Yeah. For the most, they're just like out of touch. They're like, yeah, this stuff that doesn't exist, we don't even want to do anymore. But yeah, it, it's that that is of the numerous things on its mind. It taking truth to power that is actually corrupt and gross and evil, it doesn't care about it. It doesn't want to do that. In, what, seven years, ten years, we get the verdict? And then in 25 years after that, we get Spotlight? Do you guys think in 1973 it was scary? Like, that's the true scare is to take it to the Catholic Church? Like, do you guys think that, like, you would have got burned down? Probably. People would have, yeah, I I think he would have never worked in this town again. (laughs) Yeah, I guess that that question is kind of informed by a lot of years of things coming out. And so maybe because they still had the wraps on it so effectively. But there's still, I mean, to this day, there's people that are like, we really want to protect the children. I hate drag queen library readings, and I'll never say a single thing about the Catholic Church. I Well, and I felt the same thing about the satanic panic, Ryan, because I feel like that was like something that we were able to experience as younger people and then like watch the backlash and watch the fallout of it and yet with q QAnon and like adjacent right-wing conspiracy theories it seems like they're all just trumped up versions of or like kind of like retrofitted versions oh, of yeah. the satanic panic Do you know what uh per capita okay so not like a billion but per capita like what has like the most rampant sexual molestation and uh aggression in it is the uh police explorers program when yeah, I've heard go that. To uh, work with police, yeah. So, uh, work on that instead of the drag queen library redeems. If you we're, care about the children, where nothing bad except for you has ever happened. <laughs> <laughs> when we come back, we're going to give this movie some awards and a recommendation. Awards. This movie was celebrated in its own time and was nominated for Ryan. How many was it? Ten. Ten. All of, but it all won, of the biggies. It won two. Which two did it win, Ryan? We got adapted screenplay by okay. the author of the book, and then sound, which I think was legit. Like, Yeah, dude. This movie sounded great. Capital L legit. Yeah, the sound was not a problem. I mean, they had like her voice overdubbed, and it was like perfect. And, and allegedly, she lost 
best supporting actress because they found out they figured out that uh an old school actress who i should have her name up here uh did her voice like an 80 year old actress dubbed her voice in over linda blair's uh, and purposely destroyed her voice so that it would sound really bad <laughs> uh smoked even more cigarettes than she normally did and gargled eggs and relapsed from her addiction to alcohol yes. so, because she thought that whiskey would make her voice sound even worse. And to me, I was like, you guys thought that was Linda Blair. You thought that was twelve-year-old Linda Blair. Yeah, yeah. And then when you found that's out how that that's it how well it's done. When you found out that it wasn't, you were like, "Well, then she does not get the award." Yeah, that's definitely. I'm angry. You tricked me. <laughs> uh, so it's going home with a a slew of Moody's tonight. Pound for pound performance, Mike. Who do you give it to? I, I think just m- so overwhelmed and all. I think Ellen Burstyn rules. I think she plays every emotion, even when it's big. She hits big in a realistic way, over like a hammy melodramatic way. Like I think she just crushes her. Like the way she looks in the mornings, I was more impressed with than the way she looks at the scary scenes at night. The like mm-hmm. I haven't been sleeping. I love how much this movie is it reminded me of poltergeist in that it's not just dealing with the acute like we got spookies but also it's like we also have to just live our lives and so like we're really tired in the morning because we're being haunted by stuff which is the only thing that makes me tired in the morning uh guys this is a uh like inch for inch remake of or poltergeist is a remake of exorcist like yeah it it just moves it to the suburbs but like my daughter is fucked up and we have to bring in professionals. Like you can put them side by side, and it is the exact same thing. And don't worry too much about the specifics. <laughs> Mike, who do you, or did we just do Mike's P for P? Yeah. Ryan, who do you think is P for P? I have Linda Blair. I have. Um, I just like what she went through is not supposed to be why I give it to her, but like uh, I think that her dedication to this part. Uh, just her constant, there's so many moments that like made me laugh, but like, I think in the way that the movie intended, um, there's a part where she has gotten out of her, um, uh, restraints, restraints. And she's just leaning at the, on the, uh, the foot of the bed. <laughs> yes, dude. And she's like, yo, what up bitches? Yeah. <laughs> Pazuzo's here. Hello. <laughs> um, but then like, uh, when, uh, Karis goes out of the window and, Pazuzu has gone and she throws herself to the corner and she's just like, Mommy, mommy, where are you? And then yeah. burst, in, run, burst in, burst in. Uh, mm-hmm. I just think, like, from the whole, like, and uh, I think it's a tie. I think that the, the key to the movie is the two of them together. Uh, it, early on in the movie, where Burston has, like, really uh, gotten out of all responsibility except for her relationship to her daughter and they tackle each other. Like mm-hmm. uh, at the bottom of the stairs, and they're like tickling each other. Like yeah. it's, it's it's almost unscripted. It's almost improvised. You know, I think it's so good. Very close matchup there, but I am going to give it to to Burson. I ultimately I feel like this movie is recorded in our in our cultural memories as being about this little girl. It's so clearly when you watch it about this mom, and I think that Burston really carries that. You know, she's the one who's tormented more than anybody else by what's going on. Um, Ryan, what is Friedkin's signature moment from this movie? Okay, so uh, we've talked a lot about how it's not that he doesn't care about the set pieces. I just think that he is doing them because they're necessary. But I do think that 
He's just coming off his Academy Award for The French Connection, which I think is a cop movie, chase movie, like no other. Like one that's very grounded in being a drama about people, you know, like this is his thing. And so I picked what I think is one of the most horrifying scenes of the movie, which is Lee J. Cobb playing this like very strange for the movie world police detective um, <laughs> comes over for coffee. And he's a movie fan, which is uh, adds a level of strangeness. And they sit down, and he's trying to hide this. And he cares about this girl. And he's uh, a little bit more towards, leaning towards the fact that, like, there is supernatural stuff going on that he knows any of his um, fellow employees are. And they just sit there and they talk. And, like, this is sort of their uh, swan song to the movie. Like, the two of them are not going to really do much in the movie. And they just sit there in like a lot of quiet, a lot of uh, just like dealing with the situation the same way that the two of us are. And Friedkin makes us sit in it. And like they have a second cup of coffee. Like usually in movies, you pour a cup, like you, we have our drink and you don't even touch it. You just let the drink sit there and then you leave. But w- they drink their drink and then we have a second drink and we just sit there. Uh, she clearly asks him if he wants another cup of coffee as a way of saying, well, guess you got to head on out of here. Dude. <laughs> and when he accepts, you see her face fall <laughs> so precipitously. She's uh, his name is, um, that, that character's last name, Kinderman. Kinderman. Because uh, he is a man child. He is yes. made young by his love of movies. In a, in a movie all about uh, adults and kids and that crossover there, the detective's name is kinderman he asked the priest at the end to like go to, the, to a movie at the end and yeah. he's like uh uh who's in it i don't know maybe i don't want to go and he's like well fine fuck you then <laughs> uh but the fact that they spent so much time towards the third act with these two and uh my skin is crawling the entire time it, that is freaking's moment all right what do you say mike the, the the thing that i noticed uh and happened a lot more in the first two-thirds was these sporadic inserts a little longer than uh, Brad Pitt putting dicks in movies in Fight Club. The Pazuzu inserts? But the, there's a Pazuzu insert, but there's also like zoom in on the attic door that's in the ceiling. But she's not going to go in that room until five more scenes. It's not soon. It's not yeah. like on this candle. The candle's not going to fly yet, but it's just like, I don't know. How do we build tension right now? Zoom in on random shit for a second. <laughs> and we'll get back to that way later in the movie. It made me laugh. I, I don't get why it happened, but that made me... Be like, that's a director doing uh, something. I'm a little surprised none of, neither of you went with the iconic image of um, uh, Max von Sydow standing outside the like when he shows up to mm-hmm. do the the exorcism. But I'm going to give that one to Ryan. Um, this is not. I think when you think of this movie, that the first thing you think of is not cringing. Um, are there any moments in this movie that would that would lead one to cringe, Mike? Uh. Lead me to cringe. It was the uh, cerebral angiography, which is the needles in the neck and all that. And then just that whole sequence. And then the MRI is so loud. Uh, all of it, it. And it's just showing the medical system not helping this girl, but traumatizing her doubly so. I love uh, how the point of this movie, clearly one of the major points of this movie, is that the medical establishment is as scary as demons and as scary right. as like being. And I love that when people talk about passing out in this movie, like with viewers passing out, it's this, it's the medical scenes. And I just mm-hmm. think that's so perfect. Like that's, ex- that's the biggest compliment to Friedkin that there could be that like, it's not the stuff where she's 
possessed and being weird. It's just the medical stuff that goes on every day in real life. The way horror movies like accentuate real life horror is what keeps them from being fun for me, but uh, makes them definitely more interesting. Uh, so I love that. Ryan, how about you? When were you cringing? I um, jumped into this movie knowing that it's a classic and it sort of lives in time, lives in amber, like so many <laughs> mosquitoes that we get dinosaur DNA from. And then Linda Blair started jumping up and down on the bed and like we could very clearly see her underwear. And then all of a sudden it hit that like this was a 12 year old girl and all of a sudden it flooded in like what she was asked to do and. I don't know. It got all of a sudden gross for me. You know, like yeah. mm-hmm. that she did sign on, she did commit, but fuck, man. This and there's weird stories about her interactions with Friedkin, too. Like, there's a story where he's like, do you understand what she's doing with the crucifix? Yeah. And Alinda Blair apparently is supposed to say she's jerking off, it's right? It's like jerking off. And, man, yeah, like, uh, yeah, oh, I, I totally agree. This... Th- Linda Blair's story does not turn out like Tatum O'Neill's, also from 1973. But just because you don't have the worst story from 1973 doesn't mean that it's a great story. Um, I don't know. It, that it, it just made me feel like shit. Yeah, yeah, I I agree with that. Um, it hard to lose sight of that with everything else we've experienced the 73. Even if you don't hear the story, like even if there's not a lot of stories that exist, there's just an uncomfortable feeling recommendations i'm gonna go first here if you want something that is scarier than the exorcist but still very much like dealing with the the themes of the exorcist um and exploring i i think some of the some similar ideas and obviously very much influenced by it the hereditary wikipedia um (laughs) is full of scary moments it has parts that will stick with you um, it's got links to articles about Hereditary. I can't recommend highly enough checking out the Hereditary Wikipedia. I think it's got everything that this movie was going for and a little bit more. Obviously informed by it, sure. Um, but yeah, I just it's one of the most impactful uh, Wikipedias you, you can read out there. As Mike, what do you got there? Uh, bachelor's and master's and doctorate and double doctorate and I think triple doctorate in English literature. Is it the mm-hmm. best book you've ever read? Uh, it's right. It's it's definitely right up there. One of the scarier, definitely one of the scarier things I've ever read. I have heard. I don't know if this is true, but that they have optioned it to make a movie about it. What? So something to something uh, to think about. Something to check I out. Heard the f- the first couple people who read the hereditary Wikipedia puked because of how scary it was. Yeah, dude, they got so scared. I just honestly like uh, now when I look at piano wire, I'm like, oof. You could just picture you could just picture what somebody could do with that. You guys know in the like the 1890s, uh, people went to a theater and the hereditary Wikipedia page came at people on screens and everyone <laughs> ran out of the theater. Mike, what do you recommend? For uh, also very intrepid closely. Viewers? Related, very, very inspired. Uh, the Last Exorcist, I think, does not get enough play. It was Memory Hold. Patrick Fabian, who was great in Better Call Saul, is the star of it as a kind of Harold Hill-type huckster. He is a pastor, but he finds people who think their kids might be possessed and then adds like special effects oh, hell to yeah. oh, uh, hell do things. Yeah. 
and it's so it's it, and it's a mockumentary style and it starts off very funny and he's so charming and shitty and faithless like Karas is uh and then he runs into no uh he's dealing with a real one here uh Fuck. and this girl uh Ashley Bell plays Nell and she is uh I forget who her parents are, but they're like two ground links. So she's been around improvisers her whole life. And then so all of them were like, but you all have lines. Ashley's going to do whatever she wants. And them dealing with her going nuts and actually contorting her body in insane ways uh, ah. is dope. The last five minutes are stupid as hell, but the rest of the movie is dope. Does he have <laughs> like 1920s special effects? So it's like smoke bomb, smoke bomb, fake poop, fake vomit. Yeah, it, it really is like, he's like, ha, ha, ha fishing line on my finger (laughs) (laughs) but he's dealing with like and it's interesting because he thinks these people who are looking to him for help he's like well i'm in the backwoods of arkansas or whatever and he's making fun of them and at first you're like yeah they are weird and then you realize no this guy's a piece of shit like (laughs) that unfortunate actor that unfortunate very handsome very rich actor can only play pieces of shit yeah he has that kind of face yeah ryan what do you recommend I am. I have heard that this has been a terrible year uh, for horror from multiple sources, and that might be because last year was so great. Last year had Barbarian, and uh, last year was the uh, uh, the Pearl and X. Oh, X. Two punch. Yeah. Um, but this year had Evil Dead Rise, and as an Evil Dead one and two fan, and not the biggest Army of Darkness fan, but that's fine. Um, <laughs> That I, I expected Evil Dead Rise to be terrible, and I thought it was spectacular and full of demons and full of incredible set pieces. Mike, have you seen this? Not yet. Okay. So I will recommend it to you and to all of our listeners and to Greg. It looked scary as shit, dude. Yeah, the preview really made it look like way scarier than the original Evil Dead movies. Greg is grabbing his keys and looking up his local red box right now to run out and go. I it. might have to cruise over to the old Wikipedia. <laughs> If you dare. Uh, it was fucking sweet. It was about um, somebody opens the goddamn... Is this a Necronomicon? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, open it up. Read a couple pages. Her, Just... uh, the sister's like, hey, don't do that. And the uh, the brother's like, oh, what? What if I read another page? What if I read another page? Dare, dare me to read a third page? And then shit goes haywire in this uh, apartment building that is about to be condemned and has no electricity. Ooh, and then they rise. Uh, so many cool things. In, uh, there's a in the parking lot uh, below the building. There is a one of those uh, trash trucks that has a uh, grinder in it. Um, yeah, there elevator. is. Elevator. I love elevator work. Elevators are already so scary. And then to add mm-hmm. a little bit more to that, guys. Evil Dead Rise. Check it out. Well, those are our awards and our recommendations. When we come back, I'm going to tell you who won this show. We're going to say whether or not we think The Exorcist has what it takes to win the 1973 season. Ryan, you won 25 to 24, you old so-and-so. What wow. possessed you to do so well? Pazuzu. Pazuzu. Hey, make it Pazuzu, will you? Is that uh, why on the breaks you kept calling me a cunting panelist, Ryan? Because <laughs> Pazuzu was in you? Yeah. <laughs> He's been here the entire time. I kind of felt like Pazuzu was a little bit like an internet troll. Just always trying to be upsetting and get under mm-hmm. people's skin. Do you know why he's not upsetting, though? Is because when anytime you look at the statue, and at the very end, instead of that weird face with like the, the makeup and the weird teeth, uh, he just appears, and he's got his hand up, like ready to like 
be in power with you. <laughs> like the actual statue is like, yo, what up, bro? Yeah, Solid- dude. Solidarity. Solidarity. I reading the tea leaves here. I feel like this movie, if if it were the Ryan show starring Ryan and his two friends, other Ryans, Wait, this did would you have read my pitch. This would have a very <laughs> strong chance. But Mike, you and I seem a little underwhelmed. I think this movie may not have much of a chance. What do you guys think? My heart is still searching for the winner yeah. of the 1973 season. I, uh, yeah, I think that you guys need to watch it again because, and I know that's never, ever going to happen. But for I, one of us, I do think that um, these genre movies are too often graded on how good they are at their genre. And I just don't think that this is the classic horror movie in its sense. I think that, like, it's the outside of the set pieces, I think that this is nearly perfect. Yeah, it's certainly super upsetting in a lot of different ways, all of which it's trying to be. And so you have to give it credit. Like, I think it it bridges the gap between real world horror and horror movie horror so effectively as to like kind of erase the gap. Um, And I do think that, you know, it's hard when I find a movie so distasteful, I don't want to watch it again. It's hard to then say like, okay, well, my one time viewing it was, you know, the definitive verdict but i just i feel in no way compelled to watch it again there were a couple different things the thing with the crucifix and then her mom we didn't even talk about the fact that her mom bursts in right after that and she just like grabs her mom by the head and forces her mom's head down oh yeah like and her mom comes up like with a face full of blood because she's just been like stabbing herself like Wow, things you just cannot unsee, cinema. That's awesome. <laughs> so Greg has not been in Pornhub in like seven years. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I guess I, I think that there's not much of a chance, fair or, or unfair. Um, it just, it, it didn't quite do it for me. And Mike, would you say it's fallen in your esteem? Or do you have any sort of adjustment to your feelings about it? Adjustment, but you know what it is? It's it's uh, a bu- new dials have been added to how I feel about it. I, I agree. The outside of the set pieces have risen up because now I remember them. Yeah, uh, and I, I could definitely see rewatching this one. Uh, another twenty years is not going to go by before I watch it again. I think this movie's awesome. It's just like it did not serve what I was expected and told, and memory served and pop culturally told it served. And so, but that that is just always an interesting uh, take to have to. Not on when it's remembered culturally a little bit different than like when you watch the yeah. thing itself. Well, we still have a lot of great movies coming up in this season. Make sure you are checking those out. But until then, hey, do me a favor, would you keep watching them horror movies? Ooh, spooky! <gasps> Happy Halloween! Boom.